0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called The Life of Christ, a study in the Gospel of Luke. In this series, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. Well, I want to talk to you today about what competes for the attention uh, in your life. And um, uh, speaking of things that compete for the attention in our life, Uh, Let me just pull out my phone. And uh, I just invite you to pull out yours as well. We want to do something uh, before the message here to kind of get us uh, uh, thinking about this, to kind of get this on the table. So in just a moment, we're going to put a number up on the screen, and we're going to ask you, if you're willing, if you would just text your answer uh, to this question. What are the things that compete for your attention? What are the things on any given week? It may be something like, work, or family, or money, or, you know, sports, or whatever you want to put in there, but uh, why don't you, uh, if you're willing, text that in, and we'll just see, again, in our church family uh, what some of the things are that tend to rise to the surface, and um, I'll just, wait, we've actually never done this before, so if you can be patient with us, we're just trying to do something that helps us do something as a church, so there's the first one there, work, kids. Finances, family business, the NCAA, (laughs) Facebook and social media, problem solving, chores. Maybe that's a young person who knows how to use your phone, huh? Sleep, laziness, Hmm. schoolwork. Busyness. (laughs) Laundry competes for our attention, some of us. Worries. Finances. The news. Mm -hmm. Grading papers. Some of you teachers. Maybe that's a student, actually. They're praying over whoever's grading papers. (laughs) Appearances. Mm -hmm. Wanting to fit in. Okay, thank you for helping us do that. Um, I want to talk to you today about priorities. And I want to invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 18 through 30. If you're getting used to your Bible, it's about three-fourths of the way back. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in Luke, Luke 18, 18 through 30. If you're using a black Bible, it's on page 732. You can pull that out in the seat rack in front of you. And we're going to look at this uh, interaction that Jesus had with a man that's often called the rich, young ruler. And as we think about that, uh, one of the things that Jesus addresses in this guy's life is his priorities, the things that were competing for his attention and his affection. And so, as we think about all that, um, I want to invite you... uh, to look up here at the banners. We've been saying every week that one of the reasons we're going through the Gospel of Luke is because we want to be with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. We want to be his followers. We want to be disciples. And this fits in with our vision as a church family. Do you mind reading? The banners are the same on both sides. Let's read these together. We are fighting shallow Christianity by becoming H3 disciples of Jesus who are hungry, humble, and hospitable. And if you're following along the notes, here's what I hope you'll see, uh, is that coming to Jesus, this man lacks something and seems hungry. When this guy comes to Jesus, he's lacking something. He lacks something and he seems hungry. And you'll see it in the way that he asked Jesus a question that even though he seems to have it all, there's still something missing in his life. And there seems to be a spiritual hunger that he's bringing to Jesus. Now, if you've never read the rich young ruler accounts, you can find it in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and here in Luke 18. If you've never read it before, you're gonna notice today that Jesus ups the challenge on this guy in a way that shocks him and shocks almost anyone that's ever read this account or was there. In a way, Jesus says to this guy, A sentence that he never says to anybody else. So the question on the table, I mean, it seems so severe. It seems so extreme that most of us are going, like, what gives? But if you're following along, here's the question I want to address today. Why does Jesus challenge this rich young ruler as he does? Why does Jesus challenge this rich young ruler as he does? And part of the answer is that, is it has to do with priorities. And I don't know about you, but what Jesus does in this challenge, I need this. This has been very helpful, again, to have the time this last week to just spend time in this passage, because I've noticed that this is more than just about money. This is about our hearts. And I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like we live in a world that's getting only more intense, like in our face, competing for our attention. So I need this. I've walked with Christ for a number of years. I still need this message. And if you're new, if you've never even trusted Christ yet, you may be absolutely intrigued by how Jesus interacts with this guy. So I want to just invite you to pray with me before we read this passage together, and then we'll dig in, okay? Now, Heavenly Father, let me not be caught up in the details of this message that I miss what you're saying to me. And as I listen to you, I want to teach this in such a way, God, that you might help those that have come here hungry today. Lord, be our teacher. Be the one who feeds us. Thank you so much that you love us enough to challenge us. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, the very first verse that I'd like you to read together is... uh, is uh, found there in that first gray box. And then a few verses down will be that next gray box. So do you mind reading with me? and We'll make our way through these 13 verses. Let's read it. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then it goes on and he says this. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Now, would you read verses 24 and 25 with me, please? Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now, if you're following along in the notes, the very first thing I want you to notice about this interaction is that Jesus asks why he calls him good, if only God's good. The guy starts out by saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus says, now, before I answer your question, I'm, I'm intrigued by the way you just addressed me. Why do you call me good? No one is good, except God alone. Several things strike me about this. Uh, one of the things I've learned as a pastor, especially in the United States, is that when people talk to me at times about maybe why they're not interested in religion or God or trusting Christ, usually the number one answer is because I'm a good person. And I want to just say, as I've often said, I'm thankful for any virtue in the world, aren't you? But the question is, according to Jesus, is anyone good except God? Does that mean that no one's capable of doing good? That's not what he's saying. He's saying no one in themselves is the source of their good. Only God is good, the source of good. Therefore, as we learned last week, the only way, if there's any goodness in us, is because God created us with that or because he's helped us move in that direction. Now, we can do good things for wrong motives, all those kind of things. Jesus is just saying, I'm just curious like that. Do you know, really, is he saying he's not God? No, he's not. What he's saying is, do you know who you're talking to? What do you see in me? Do you see something different in me? You see, no rabbi had ever been, there's no, we have no record until the 4th century, that any rabbi was ever called good. You just didn't do that. You didn't mix that because that, that belonged to God alone. But this guy, is, in, his, in his energy, just says, good teacher, something's going on in this guy's life. And Jesus is digging. He's probing. Why do you call me good? Second thing is, Jesus reviews the commandments with him, sort of, if you're following along. Jesus reviews the commandments with him, sort of. What do we mean? The Ten Commandments. Now, again, many people have heard of the Ten Commandments. Many people claim to know them. The average American does not even know four of the Ten Commandments when they've been polled. And so it's an interesting thing. Jesus just begins to review the commandments with him, And notice what he says. "You You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Now, why do I bring this up with this sort of thing? I don't know if you know this, but rabbis were very insightful in the way they taught. They would often say only part of something so that the person had to be involved and do thinking with them. So he's saying some things, and this guy's going through the commandments in his mind, and he notices some things. So I thought, if I just ask you to turn your notes over, maybe you'll see what I'm talking about. We've taught on the Ten Commandments before, and maybe you've heard this before, but the Ten Commandments are often divided in what's called the two tablets. The first four commandments are part of the first tablet, and they have to do with our relationship with God. The second set, the last six, are often called the second tablet, and they have to do with our relationship with each other, with people. And so, again, notice where Jesus starts. He starts in which one of the two tablets? The second, okay? And he starts right out. He doesn't necessarily do it in order either. He just starts naming some of them. Now, in the second tablet, you notice he lists five out of the six. Do you notice which one he leaves out? Number 10. What's number 10 say? You shall not covet. Hmm, that's interesting. I wonder why he left that out. You know, to covet... As Chuck taught us a few months ago, it means to grasp, to grab. It's got a greedy spirit. It wants more than I have. Hmm, that's interesting. Notice also that he starts in the second tablet. Why didn't he start with number one? What's number one? Let's read it together. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I made a mistake in the second line, so could you correct it quickly before anybody sees this? You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, okay? Just in case you thought the commandments had changed, okay? So Jesus is digging around in this guy's heart, and he's going, you know the commandments, and he names five. And what does the guy say? All these I have kept since I was... A young boy. Like, I'm glad you picked those five. I think in a way he was going, whew. But Jesus just puts it out there. He's just saying, you know the commandments, don't you? Hmm. All these. And so Jesus just says, well, since you're asking me, you lack one thing. And if you're following along, you want to turn the notes back over. Jesus says he lacks one thing. He needs to sell, give, then follow me. Sell, give, then follow me. Now I told you, Jesus goes for broke on this guy. He says, well, there's still one thing you lack. You know there's something missing in your life and you're trying to get at that. You're trying to dig at that. So let me just tell you what that one thing is. But in a way you're going like, Uh, You're taking the long way to help me understand what that one thing is because you just told me I need to sell everything I have. That's radical. Then give to the poor so you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And uh, this, this registers on the Richter scale in a massive way in this guy's heart. Luke says that he became sad. Because, very sad, because he was very wealthy. So he was was processing what Jesus is saying. The thing that strikes me about this sentence, and I don't know if you've thought about this, but whenever I see one thing, it takes me back to something Jesus said back in chapter 10, when Mary and Martha... He was in their house. And Martha was busy running around with all the details of the meal. And Mary was listening to Jesus. She wasn't trying to be lazy. She just realized the most hospitable way she could be to Jesus was to pay attention to him. And so as she's listening to him, Martha's going, Lord, aren't you going to tell my sister to help me? And Jesus says these incredible words. Next, I think we've got them in Luke 10 we have them there? I think they're near the end of the list. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Let's read this last phrase. But only one thing is needed. That word means necessary, essential. There's one thing in life, friends. There's one thing in life that if we lack that, we lack everything. Jesus is the one thing. This guy had everything but Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you're going to need to leave some things and let go of some things that have become good things but God things in your life in order to have the one thing and let me be your one thing thing. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. You have other gods before me. And life will never work when you do that. Do you know that? Do you see that? And he's probing. And this guy didn't realize that he had other gods. He didn't really know that about himself until he's in Jesus' presence. You ever notice that when Jesus comes close, sometimes you see things you didn't see in your life? So notice this next thing is that sad, this man can't imagine his life without his wealth. Sad, this man can't imagine his life without his wealth. So again, just imagine being in the theater of his mind. He's hearing Jesus say this. And he's playing it out, and he's picturing himself losing that, and selling that, and not having that, and all of a sudden he goes, no, 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 no. That's part of what makes my life so happy. I, I, don't think I can live without that. And as he's imagining this, Jesus is, is probing and he's he's helping this guy think this through. And he's, he's sad. Now, Matthew's account and Luke's account tell us that as soon as this conversation happened, he went away sad. Luke's account tells us that he just was sad. And Jesus looks at him and says something like this. How hard it is. We read it together how hard it is. How hard it is for those who are rich, for someone who is rich, to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel. Now, friends, think about this with me. If you've ever been near a camel, one of the funnest moments in our family's life is when we heard that my mother had ridden one and it took off. A camel was the largest land animal in Palestine. So Jesus goes, okay, now picture, picture one of those going through the smallest little opening, the eye of a needle. And you'll understand how hard it is for someone who will not let go of their riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible. Some people have so tried to take the edge off this, they said, you know, there's a little opening in a cave in Palestine that the only way you can get through it is if you humble yourself and kneel down and go through. Ridiculous. Friends, Jesus has a sense of humor. He's saying, you want to know how silly it is? Let me give you a picture. Try this a thousand times. It'll never work. And people never forgot that image. And so Jesus is saying, that's how difficult it is. Now, I I don't know about you, but aren't you glad that Jesus is talking to him and not to us? Aren't you so glad? (laughs) I just am so relieved because I can go home now and just know that it was on that guy. You've heard this before. Every one of us in this room, almost without exception, are in the top five or 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you make $10,000, you are in the top 20% of the richest people in the world. If you make $30,000, you are in the top 5 or 6% of the world. And some of us go, well, what about the super rich? Look, there's 6.5 billion people. Do you, I, I typed mine in. In fact, you want to do this? If you think I'm making this up. Here's a couple of websites that you can just write down if you want to write them down. There's one called GlobalRichList.com. GlobalRichList.com. It shows you what number you are in the world if you type in your, your uh, net worth, your net salary, excuse me, your net annual income. And the other one is the, wealth, the WorldWealthCalculator.org. WorldWealthCalculator.org. I did this a couple times this week. Just It was fascinating to me. And what I found out is I'm in the top 1% of the world. That's disturbing. What that tells me is that what Jesus is addressing with this guy, he has to address with me. Why does he address this? Because money's bad? No. We've already talked about it. He's given it to us for us to enjoy and to steward well. We talked about that back in Luke 16. So why does he talk to us? Because there are dangers when you and I make money, which is a good thing, a God thing. And none of us are exempt from that temptation. Some of us may be more prone to it, but none of us, if we think we stand, take heed lest we fall. So here's just several verses that remind us of the challenge of this. Here's Matthew 13, 22, when Jesus tells the parable of the soils that represent our heart. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so no fruit is produced. You see what's going on? This person's not against God. They hear God's word. They're taking God's word in their life. Well, how come there's never any fruit? Why? Because something else is more important. It's not that God's word isn't important. It's just not as important. See, that can happen. That can happen to me. It can happen to you. Here's another one, 1 Timothy 6.10. I think a lot of people, even people outside the church have heard this it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Let me stop. Is money the root of all kinds of evil? No. I hear people say that all the time. Money's the root of all kinds of evil. Friends, no, it's not. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So the question is, how do I know when I'm enjoying it and loving it? We don't always know. I don't think this guy knew. Until he started spending time with Jesus, and Jesus started digging, he started going, ho, oh, oh, ho, I didn't even see that before. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Did they wander from the faith overnight? No, it just kept pulling, pulling, pulling forward, and all of a sudden, they're not only away from God, but now they're piercing themselves with many griefs. Wow. Then it goes on. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 6 further on, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Do you see one of the dangers? Money can make us feel like we're bigger than we are. It can make us think that we know more than we know. Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Here's another reason why it's dangerous is because it can go away. It can go up and down. It's not certain. Which is, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our what, friends? Enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's what happens. We get so caught up with this age this world that we don't think bigger picture and we don't take hold of the life that is truly life. There's one more, Revelation 3.17. I think Steve shared this recently. This is what happened to the Laodicean church. This is what Jesus said to them. They thought they were doing great. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, And naked, you've forgotten your need for God. So what did Jesus teach last week? Unless we become helplessly dependent on God and we know it. Money can fool us. It can distort our perspective. It can distract us. It can deceive us. It can destroy us if we love it and we don't have it in the right place. This can happen to you and me. And so Jesus goes after that in this guy. Why? Because he doesn't love him? Do you know that when Jesus said this in Mark 10, verse 21, in Mark's account, it says that when Jesus, right before he said how hard it is, when, Jesus, when, when, when he told him to go and sell everything, the Bible says he looked at him and loved him. Now, when you hear Jesus say something that challenging, do you hear love in it? Or do you hear, go and sell it? Friends, Jesus has a posture that's unbelievable towards this guy. This guy knows he's loved. He knows he's being challenged in love. Full. Full of grace and truth. So notice that Jesus says it's hard for one who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now what I want you to see is that after he said these things, people go, well, then who can be saved? And one of the reasons why these people cry this out is friends because they believed in a prosperity gospel that's still popular and and going around today. There are whole Christian groups that'll tell you, just believe in Jesus, and you can have Gucci shoes, you can have a nice home, you can even have a second home, because Jesus, that's what he's all about, is to bless you with material possessions out of your wildest dreams. And all I want to say is, friends, there's a grain of truth in that. He wants to bless us in all kinds of ways, including he wants to help us bless our finances. But to think that some of our brothers and sisters who are being beaten and living in caves are not as loved and blessed by him right now as those that may have prosperity is a sickening thought to me. And we must never, ever believe that. And so they thought, what are you saying? This guy's got it together. He must have God's blessing on his life. And Jesus says, you're seeing the outward thing. There's a heart issue going on that I'm dealing with right here. And they go, well, and who can be saved? That's impossible. If it can't go through the eye and a needle, that means all the rich people are doomed. And he's saying, oh, no, no. Here's the good news. What's impossible with man is possible with God. He can do something in the human heart. That's why I came. I can do this. If you're following along, Jesus declares good news. God can do what humans can't. I proclaim good news over you today. No matter what you think is impossible, if you're willing to come as a child to the Lord, if you're willing to depend and trust in him, he can do the impossible. He can help you look at money and put it in the right place. He can help do something in your heart that you cannot do yourself. Praise the Lord. Good news. And they heard it. They didn't necessarily know how to internalize it yet they heard it. He proclaimed it over them before they even understood it. And the next thing I want you to see is that Jesus has more good news. What he goes on to say to Peter and the other disciples is, you gain more than you lose. Here's more good news. You gain more than you lose when you love me and my kingdom more than anything else. Now here's, I just want to tell you, I'm a pastor's kid, so I sat in messages just like you're sitting in right now. My dad was an incredible preacher. And I remember that when God would be working through his preaching, I would be thinking, I'd be playing this out. Just like this rich guy was, I'd be going, if I get serious with Jesus, I'm going to lose more than I gain. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose that person. I don't want to lose this. And I go, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose more than I gain and just fear and protectiveness and all kinds of stuff would go up. And Jesus goes, you don't get it. Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And he says, I tell you the truth. You'll never regret that decision. No one, he says, not just you guys, no one will fail to receive many times as much in this life and in the next who's willing for the sake of the kingdom to let go or leave family members, friends, possessions, whatever, to let me be first place in your life. You'll never regret it. The question is, do we believe it? The last thing I want you to notice is is that Jesus sees everything in light of the kingdom of God. Jesus sees everything in light of the kingdom of God. You know, again, I've told you before, you give me this privileged opportunity to study the scriptures during the week. And so as I'm looking at this, I'm looking at what Steve taught on last week about the children coming to Jesus. And we saw how that many people had the value system messed up then too. They thought the children were unimportant. Steve suggested that it's possible that this rich young ruler guy was standing in line and they thought, well, maybe... We need to make sure these important people get to Jesus. Now, we don't know if that's the case, but it's hinted. And so whatever happened is, is that Jesus begins to say, no, 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 no. You have to come like a child if you want to enter, what was the phrase? The kingdom of God. Well, I thought, that's interesting. He mentions the kingdom of God. Guess what I noticed in this passage? He mentions the kingdom of God. I taught on this several times already, all throughout Luke, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And it seems so like far away. The kingdom of God is when God is allowed to have his way. It can happen in Chatham or Springfield or Rochester or Riverton or Sherman or name any place you want. But the kingdom of God is when the king gets his way. And Jesus says, I want you to see all of life because the kingdom of God is the only thing that's going to last. I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready, singing about music that I've loved over the years. And some of you are going to think that I'm square, but I love Handel's Messiah. I'm not a big, uh, you know, uh, classical music person, but I cannot get over that piece so around Christmas, I listened to it over and over again in my office while I'm studying. And I love it because Handel wrote that in a series of number of days without sleeping. And he just incorporated scripture in music in such a powerful way. And one of the verses he incorporates is Revelation 11:15. 15. It says that John heard this said in heaven. Then I heard a voice saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. What does that mean? This world is passing away, friends. Jesus is saying, think it through, man. Think it through. You're locking your heart to something that's going out. Do you want to do that? Because if you're willing to abandon that for the kingdom of God, you'll win. You'll win every time even though the world says you're crazy and you're a loser. You watch. I'm proclaiming good news over you. So how do we live hungry for the kingdom of God? If that's the takeaway, how do we pay attention to the priorities of our heart and continue to be H3 disciples who are hungry for the kingdom of God? Well, the first thing is we've got to let Jesus search our heart. So this morning, let me just ask you, What or who can't I imagine being able to live without? What can't I imagine being able to live without or who? It may be a person. It may be a a possession. It may be uh, a privilege, a position. It may be, but what is it? This guy had no imagination. See, Jesus is trying to change his mind. When Jesus comes on the scene and says, repent and believe the good news, what he means is change your mind and accept the good news that I have for you. Why? But what this guy, all he could think about was the bad news. Oh my gosh, I'm losing. And Jesus goes, no, no. It's more about following than it is about selling. It's more about you get me than losing. So what is it that I honestly don't think I can live without? Now, I want to say this carefully as a pastor. I've stood a lot of graves. I've sat in a lot of sessions where people either by death or by divorce lose some of the dearest people in their life. And I know the question going through their minds is how am I going to live without this person? It's a million dollar question. And the only way is if Jesus is first. Because if he isn't then we're in deep trouble. Why does Jesus ask us to imagine this? Because, friends, think about this. If we don't deal with this, we're going to find out one way or the other what's most important in our heart. So what is it? Is there something that you've built your whole life around, found your identity and your security in? I said in the last service, my wife was sitting in the last service, one of the reasons I was attracted to her is because she didn't need me, but she wanted me. Friends, I'll just tell you, I knew she had a relationship with Christ that if something happened to me, she would make it. It wasn't going to be easy. It wouldn't be her preference, but she could make it. So what is it? Is it a person? Is it a thing? The second thing is, will I let Jesus reorder the loves of my heart so that I can live without those things if I have to? Will I let Jesus reorder the loves of my heart so I can We've talked to you about this several times. Augustine said that we are shaped by what we love. Whatever you love will guide your decisions. Whatever you love. That's why the Bible starts out by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. It'll shape the way you do that. Get the order right. Love God. Then you can love others differently. Kyle Eidelman has put it this way. I think there's a quote up there that we can put on the screen that says, we love each other best when we love God most. My wife, my kids, need me to love the Lord most so I can love them best. It's not a matter of not loving them. It's loving God the most. And so... Augustine said that not only we're shaped by what we love, but also that there's an order to our loves. And what was going on in this rich young ruler's guy that that Jesus saw and was trying to address with him because he loved him enough to challenge him was, the order of your loves has shifted and you don't know it. And you could live 40 or 50 years like this and ruin your life. Come on come on. Do you see it? Notice Jesus doesn't force him. Jesus knows that unless this guy chooses this for himself to let the Lord reorder his life, it won't mean anything. It'll just be an external change. So he invites this guy. He challenges this guy. If you turn your notes over to the back, you'll see that second half of the page there, the order of what my heart loves I don't know about you, but I think when this rich, young ruler guy came to Jesus, he would put God in the number one position there. I think he would say, I love God most. I love God first. And Jesus didn't argue with him. He just probed. He probed. He said, really? Really? Do you know what's really going on in your heart? And so what are some of their things that compete with my heart, with my love for the Lord? And I've listed them. Spouse, children, parents, girlfriend, boyfriend, brother, sister, friends. I could have put myself there, by the way. That competes a lot. Success, popularity, power, achievement, recognition, school, work, sports, hobbies, pets, entertainment, homes, vacations, cars, trucks. I mean, you you can fill it in. What is it that competes for the affection of your heart that you don't think you could live without? I want to say this again if you hook your heart to any of these, they're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And also, they won't be able to come through for you. They won't last. But God will. So he says, what's the order? Keep the notes out. We're going to do this after I finish in just a moment. Have that ready. But if you turn your notes back over to the front, here's the question Jesus is holding out to us. Will I trust his good news that he gives more than I give up. Will I trust his good news that he gives more than I give up? Some of you know that I've had a journey along my life, and even this week, the Lord's been showing me things that keep jockeying for position in my heart more than him. This is not something you do in a day. This is not something that ever goes away till heaven. That's why we need this message. That's why we need this reminder. But some of you know that when I was 16 years old, when I was 15, the Lord amazingly made himself known to me, and I put my trust in him. When I was 16 years old, I became very interested in a girl at my high school, and I, I put my whole energy into winning her heart. And as I did that, it was a process gradually, but the more I did that, the, the less... The less Jesus became important to me and my parents said they watched the light go out of my eyes for Jesus. So they started praying like crazy and some of our family friends, whenever they'd come over, they, they had always been able to ask me how are things going with the Lord but now I hated that question. So one day, this guy, who was like a second dad to me, we were up in Wisconsin and I remember we were laying on the grass talking and he just probed And he asked me a question I've never forgotten. He said, Jeff, have you ever told the Lord that you don't think you could live without this girl? I said, no, I don't believe I've ever been interested in asking, uh, talking to the Lord about that. He said, well, I'm I'm not forcing you. I'm just saying, you've told me you feel like the Lord's asking for your heart and you're not willing to give it to him. Would you be willing to at least tell him that you don't think you could live without her? That sat in my mind for a little while, and a few weeks later, I began to just pray that. Again, this girl wasn't the problem, friends. I hope I don't make her sound. It was me, my heart. And I just began to say, Lord, I don't think I could live without her. I, I need you to somehow help me believe this good news that I could. And he began to change me. And that led to me surrendering to him afresh, and eventually some other things happened. And here I stand today, talking to you about what do you love most I'm so grateful that Jesus challenged me and didn't let me waste the last 40 years of my life loving something else more and I'm also glad that a year later I met Trish but I couldn't see all that so this morning I don't know what God's doing in your heart but if he's speaking to you Will you listen to him? If he's challenging you, will you take it as love? And will you listen to him? Will you respond? Would you turn your notes back over on the back there? Just look at that list. Is there something, as I said, girlfriend would have been mine 40 years ago? Maybe it's yours today. Is there another one of those that right now you know has really begun to take over your heart or take first place? Would you, would you talk with God about that? Would you let him speak to you?